Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Bob Varsha, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Welcome to the show, Gearheads. We just watched the Formula One Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Max Verstappen chalks up his 17th win. Unbelievable in this season. 52nd overall. And we had an explosive start to this race and a fantastic finish. Bob Varsha, I have to say, my favorite part of that race was the last two laps with Fernando Alonso holding off Checo Perez with just a masterclass on how to do that in a car that's not as fast and with your the guy behind you with full of DRS. Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> it was actually about 15 laps yeah. <laughs> of a masterclass in defensive driving. Checo was, to his credit, was probing everywhere he could, took a couple of lunges at it, finally got by with two laps to go, and Fernando just came right back and got him. You know, before the race, we suggested, well, we said that it would be a, a tire management race, and it certainly turned into that. So in the context of every battle, and we saw a bunch, um, you had to keep asking yourself, who's on what tire? How old is the tire? And that sort of thing. And that, you know, maybe gets a little old after a while. The DRS was very powerful. So a lot of DRS passing. But I agree, it wasn't the, wasn't the best race we've seen in a long time. Didn't help that the start began with Charles Leclerc throwing the Ferrari into the wall uh, before the race even began. And then a crash involving both Haas cars and Alex Albon at turn one, lap one, took Magnuson and Albon out of the race. So it took a while to get started. And, uh, you know, once it did, the field strung out a little bit and the, the DRS passing began. And and eventually it strung out so far that it got pretty, pretty boring, frankly, through uh, some of the midsections. I mean, I looked up a couple of times at the lap chart and said, God, we're still not halfway. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the, the second half was just, you know, kind of more of the same until, you know, the, the, the folks in the uh, TV truck were smart enough to latch onto that battle. The only one on the track really, which was Perez trying to get Alonso for the third and final spot on the podium. And, you know, regardless of the backstory, Perez, you know, fighting for his job, Alonso, a lot of questions swirling around him, oldest man in the field, two world championships, 350 odd starts. Um, just doing a brilliant job, which is a testament to his fitness um, obviously the Aston Martins have figured something out. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't get much out of, uh, Lance Stroll, but he was kind of hamstrung from the beginning. Uh, and then, you know, that, that terrific battle at the end where Alonso got him back. I still think Perez beat him to the line, but the computers say no. So I'll live with that. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I watched the race. It was fun. Um, you know, it just wasn't anything like the sprint race yesterday. Well, I, I'm just coming down off the high of watching that at the end. But so mm. I was sitting there thinking right after Checo got past him, you know, he, like you said, it was a dozen laps or more and Checo was behind mm -hmm. him and, and never pressed him. But then he pressed him and got him. And then mm -hmm. Alonzo immediately had the opportunity and was and was not only right behind him, but back and forth and, you know, making sure he was in both those mirrors. And I was thinking Alonzo is making sure that Checo sees him back there and is pressuring, trying mm -hmm. to pressure him into a mistake. I even wrote that down, and then 10 seconds later, Checo, what did Alonzo say in that post-race interview? He said, 
He said Checo late braked into turn one and then went wide. Right. And that was the yep. opportunity for Alonzo to take it back. And yes, I watched that at the end when they crossed the line. I thought that Checo had passed him, but I, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't quite see exactly because the, the television angle was not, you know, not side yeah. you know, 90 degrees. So you couldn't really get a good angle on it. But I yeah. did the I did the math on that. I just used 150 miles an hour. And it's about that it, it, it was somewhere around eight or nine feet is what that five hundredths of a second was. So maybe less than half a car length or maybe a car length on a <clears throat> on a modern F1 car. Yeah, I don't know exactly where the timing and scoring line was, yeah. whether it was the white line on the track at the back of the grid or not. Uh, I, I did think it was a little silly that they positioned one of the high TV cameras looking down on the track so that the start finish line or the finish line, not the start line was blocked by a crossover bridge. I mean, who does that? Uh, nevertheless, they had some other angles. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great way down the race. I thought some of the defensive driving got a little shaky. Um, like you, I was thinking Perez is going to go for it here uh, with two laps to go. Uh, and he did. And he made it work. Um, even though uh, Fernando did a little moving around under braking, I thought. Then Perez did the same thing yep. when Fernando came after him. But what does that say about the experience factor of a Fernando Alonso? Number one, yeah, he never gives up. But number two, he was ready to give up until he saw that mistake by Perez. And suddenly the door was open a crack. And that's all it takes a, you know, a real champion driver to, to just drive that nail in there and uh, you know, ruin somebody else's day. I somehow envision Alonzo's brain to be as calm as a, a a canoeer on a calm lake in the midst of that battle because he just always seems to to know exactly what to do and whether and, and you know the movements of the car and everything are crazy but I just know that it just feels like yeah. he, he's never out of sorts mentally that he always knows exactly what to do. Yeah, we we hear about it all the time from commentators and and from drivers. You know, you you're not only driving your own race car, you're you're thinking about the race itself. What's everyone else doing? What are the options and what's likely to happen from here? And what are our strengths and weaknesses? And this was a great example of Alonso doing exactly that, using all of his experience. I mean, he had every reason to just say, screw it. This car hasn't worked for five races. It's not going to work now. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to coast on home. Fourth place is great. But he never did. You know, he stayed right there behind Perez. And he said, whoops, Perez just slipped a little bit. Here we go. And got him on the run down to Subido do Lago on the, and turn four. So, you know, all credit to him for giving us a great way to remember that race. Because we'll remember the Alonso Perez battle a lot longer than we'll remember the fact that uh, Max Verstappen ran off to his 17th victory of the season. Yeah. And you know what? I have to give credit to Checker <clears throat> because he looked good today. Sure. He made some good mm-hmm. moves passing the Mercedes. He, he, I think he did pretty much what he needed to do today. That one mistake is going is, is glaring. Unfortunately, it wasn't huge. It was just a little bit wide enough to let Alonzo back through the door. But overall, I'd say he had a good day, not a perfect day, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, not not the perfect day that he needs in these last races to to you know, to ensure his seat, I guess, you know, I know that's up for debate, but I thought he had a pretty good day overall. Well, and I think the important thing about today was it reinforced what he did yesterday when he made the podium in the sprint race from, from back down the grid. So now, you know, he's got 
a trend going. He's got momentum. He has a, a small body of work after the disaster that most of this season was. Let's not forget he won two races this year. Yeah. So, you know, it's not it's not a season that was lost. Red Bulls won the constructors. It's won the drivers. They may yet finish one, two in the drivers championship. So, uh, you know, that gets lost in all the week in week out hubbub about has Checo lost it. Uh, Christian Horner says our plan is for him to be back in the car next year for the final year of his contract. Of course, that can always change. Contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on. And, um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But I said earlier today, and some of you argued with me, that's you, Chris, I'm looking at you, <laughs> that um, Perez didn't silence his doubters by, you know, doing well in the sprint race yesterday. But today's result on top of that tells me that, yeah, I think some people are going to take another look at Checo and uh, and hopefully Helmut Marco will keep his mouth shut this week. And, you know, good things will happen for Checo because hey, I was there in Mexico last week. They need Checo in this series. Yeah. He's, he's a great driver. He's in a great car. He's going to score a lot of points. He's going to do spectacular things, as we saw today. And he's going to put 450,000 fannies in the seats over the course of the weekend. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, you say that in Mexico, but... He also puts mm -hmm. a lot of Mexican fans in the seats in Austin and always has. I mean, sure. you sure. know, before yeah. Mexico came back on the calendar, they were bringing lots of Mexicans from uh, from from Mexico to, to Austin for that race. And they, they probably still do. But there's always a big contingent. Oh, yeah. Austin to, well, uh, you know, almost almost as ubiquitous as the uh, Ferrari flags these days are the Mexican flags. You know, Checo has a lot of fans around the world. He, I would put him up against the, the number of, uh, well, not against the number of uh, Verstappen fans, not the Orange Army, but mm -hmm. certainly, you know, guys like Lewis have lots and lots of uh, fans. Alonso has lots of fans, but Checo is right up there among the most popular drivers in the series. Well, I want to talk about Lando Norris. Fantastic weekend for him, finishing P2 today and... Uh, yeah. he, he looked that he and the car look really great right now. And Lando does get driver of the day. I just wonder when that voting stopped, though, because Alonzo probably could have gotten a few votes had that if that voting had, yeah. had stopped in the timing. But uh, I, thought, I, I don't often pay attention. I think they stopped the voting with two laps to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that would be uh, bingo. <laughs> right. That would be, right when the action took place. That would be what guaranteed it for Lando. Not to take anything away from his drive because he obviously had a great drive and oh had, no question. And mm -hmm. they had uh, multiple fast laps changing exchanging with with Max on the fast fastest laps with Lando. And yep. uh, clear that car is stable as well. It's not just Lando. I know that Piastri yeah. had damage to the cars while he was back there, but I mean Lando did look great, didn't he? Yes, he did. And I think Oscar Piastri is probably, you know, upset right now because, you know, obviously uh, McLaren had the horse for this course and Piastri just never got a chance to use it because he got hit up the back in the Magnussen, Hulkenberg, Albon, Skimpfus, or Goodboden and Schultz crash right at turn one, lap one. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, McLaren looked terrific. Lando looked terrific. And again, just like what I said about Perez. Hi, Chris. Um, the uh, it provides more momentum for where Lando is right now in the, in the spectrum, the, the power balance in formula one, two great races back to back for Lando in the McLaren. Now he's a force. Now there's just no getting around it. 
Uh, welcome to the show, Chris. We spent the first few minutes relishing in the last few laps of that race watching Alonzo. Man, that was just amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, I had to go for a lie down. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was so good. I mean, I didn't have, I, I, you felt that Alonzo was going to hold him off the longer it went on. And we'd seen him do it in the middle part of the race. And he's just so clever. And yeah. I, I think I tweeted words to that effect that it was like, this is kind of classic Alonzo at his best. Um, you know, back against the wall, yep. not in quite such a quick car, but he's out thinking someone else uh, and getting the job done. And then once Perez got through, you did think, oh, that's it. And not so much in the sense that, you know, it was so late that you thought Alonso might get DRS back, but you just felt Alonso, um, sorry, that Perez had enough car performance that he could put enough of a gap in the middle sector to then leave Alonso in his wake. And for him to be able to come back at him and the way he did it, because he did get Perez out of shape into turn one. Uh, and he said that Perez outbraked himself a little, and I guess he did, but that was partly forced by mm-hmm. Alonso's pressure. Uh, and yeah. Alonso keeping himself close on that f- penultimate lap uh, to then be able to get the move done. It was yeah, brilliant, brilliant racing. And um, I'd say that's up there with one of Alonso's best best performances, actually, uh, because that car, yes. let, let's not underestimate it. You know, they, it's much better this weekend, but it's not on the level of yeah. the Red Bull. So, yeah, brilliant yeah. work. Chris, I was saying... Yeah, it really was. Almost the same thing. I was just saying that Alonzo, right after Checo passed him, Alonzo just was in both mirrors, right? He was back and forth and making sure that that Checo knew he was back there, that he wasn't going anywhere to try to pressure him into a mistake. That's exactly what he did. Yeah, yeah. As you say, I think it's also there's a little bit of an aura around Alonso, isn't there? I think yeah. any driver who's racing him knows he's not going to go away and that he might have something up his sleeve. And you, you probably start to overthink yourself uh, what you're doing because you're worried that he's got something for you. So uh, yeah, very right. very impressive. <laughs> yeah, we've watched like... Alonso in the past in practice trying different lines. I mean, going crazy places on the track during during practice lappery. Uh, and you always wonder what what's he doing, and then we find out that Alonso's thinking about the start of the race. Where can I go to take advantage? Where's the grip, and so on and so forth. Maybe we don't think that much about the end of the race, where Alonso's thinking, okay, where am I going to get him? And Martin Brundle was saying, look at the different lines they're taking. Perez keeps taking the traditional racing line. Alonso was going wide, going going tight, missing the apex entirely uh, on a whole bunch of laps just because he knew there was more grip there. It's like going off the racing line on a wet track. You don't want to be on the traditional line. You want to be the part of the track that's not used so much because you get better mechanical grip out there. Um, Yeah, I agree. Brilliant, brilliant. Maybe the best we've seen from Alonso since he held off Michael Schumacher in, what, 2006 or something for one of his championships (laughs) at Imola, lap after lap after lap. And Michael was about as aggressive as they get. Alonzo kept him back. How is he still doing it? That is, that's, that's the real story, isn't it? That he's still doing, what is he, 42 now, Chris? I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I was actually, yeah, he's 42, turned 42 this year. Uh, obviously, he's contracted for next year as well, so he'll be racing into his 43rd year. And it was actually something that um, my wife said watching that race or the end of it. And she said she wants to do a real deep dive into his career as like a feature because she said there'll be so many new fans who only got into the sport, you know, I say only, maybe got into it 10 years ago yeah. and still didn't see some of that peak Alonso right. stuff from his championship years. Um, what a sensation he was at a young age coming in. And that even as impressive as this is, 
I think the knowledge of his whole career and what he used to do is what makes it mm-hmm. even more impressive because you're just not seeing a drop off. And that was the bit that kind of struck me on that final lap when those closing couple was, you know, this is a guy, as you say, into his 40s. And there's no way you think he should be even contemplating retirement. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, all right. Let's get a word from our sponsor. CrowdStrike presents Driven in 60 as the official cybersecurity partner of the Mercedes AMG Petronas Formula One team. CrowdStrike protects against cyber threats so the team can focus on what matters, their next win. The revolutionary cloud-native unified CrowdStrike Falcon platform harnesses the speed and power of the cloud to protect and defend organizations of all sizes against increasingly complex threats, stopping breaches before they happen. Because on and off the track, the stakes couldn't be higher. A split second can make the difference between victory and defeat. When every second counts, protection shouldn't slow you down. It should fuel your momentum. CrowdStrike, protection at every turn. To learn more and to try CrowdStrike Falcon free today, visit CrowdStrike.com slash XM. All right, we're going to get a quick break in and we'll be right back after these messages. All right. Hey, Chris, we were talking about it. We're all live on YouTube and Facebook. We're talking about when the voting for the driver of the day happens. And it... (laughs) If we were thinking about Alonzo, when does it happen? Do you know? When does it close? Uh, yeah, it, it goes up to basically with two laps to go, they close it. They, <laughs> they've worked actually really hard at making it as late as possible for this sort of reason. Uh, and I know it used to be maybe about five laps from the end, and they've slowly been able to kind of get it later and later. But certainly here as well, because it's such a short lap, I think it has to close with two laps to go for them just yeah. to be able to collate and then upload. Uh, so that when they come into Park Ferme, you say, here's your driver of the day. Now... I'm kind of with you guys. I think it should be when all cars cross the line. And even if right. that means you have an extra 60 seconds waiting post-race, but the race is still going on when you've asked people to make that vote. And yeah, I was I was actually a bit surprised. I saw it come up that it was Norris and it was nothing against Lando, another great drive. But mm-hmm. it was very much that that was overshadowed for me by what Alonso produced, which again, will overshadow a lot of other great drives today. Actually, it's someone like Lance Stroll, sure. I'm sure we'll get stuck into that, but Stroll had a really good afternoon. He, he ended yeah. up, I think, 10 seconds behind that battle and mm-hmm. solid points, exactly when Aston Martin needed them as well. But it showed that, you know, the car has been so tricky. You put it back into a place where both car, both drivers are happier with it and it can fight at the front. And Stroll was able to do it this weekend. Yeah, mm-hmm. kudos to him. And, and man, he needed that. He needed he needed a good weekend for sure because he was on a, on a meltdown, including, you know, I've been criticizing him openly lately but he needed a good a good week and let me look at the comments on youtube real quick here <laughs> andy p says pump the fernando checo battle into my veins that is that is perfect andy that's exactly how i think all of us felt watching that oh here's a good one from joe he says alonzo is a bit of an intimidator i like the dale earnhardt reference there <laughs> exactly what you were saying chris how he it's a bit of magic that, uh, yeah, def- you could tell others are, are wary that they they suddenly think, have we? Uh, yeah. yeah, what's he going to do? How how might he get me? Um, what's he thinking right now? And it- Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. 
To the grid, F1 aficionados, fellow F1 fans, as we race through over 30 countries from the historic tracks in Italy to the speedy straits of Japan, F1 is as global as it gets. Ever wish you could chat with locals during the Spanish Grand Prix or truly grasp the team radio in Italy's Monza? Dive into the vibrant multilingual world of Formula One with Rosetta Stone, your co-driver in language learning. With Rosetta Stone, you're not just on the track, you're in the race. No pit stops, no renewals, move from rookie phrases to pole position conversations, immersing deeper in every race. Rosetta Stone offers a pit lane of 25 languages, guiding you at your pace. And once you're on the grid, it's a lifetime ticket, no flags attached. Gear up for the next Grand Prix circuit. For a limited lap, get 50% off Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership. Full throttle your language journey at rosettastone.com SXM. That's rosettastone.com slash sxm all right guys uh we were um during the break relishing in more of the alonzo checo battle but chris you brought up a really good one and that is lance stroll um they uh, obviously the aston martin car is better this weekend but but lance stroll his headspace has just been i mean horrible but um great drive from him today wasn't it yeah i still feel listening to some of his answers he doesn't care for uh trying to make any friends when he's out of the car uh he still almost sounds like he's in a really bad mood when he's not driving but this weekend i thought he was excellent i mean you know the way that the sprint shootout went was a bit against aston martin so they had to start from the back but both cars climbed through he shadowed alonso through the field uh obviously out qualified him yeah and i know that you could say our oh, timing on track, but both cars were pretty close on track and, and Stroll got the job done there to get third. Now Alonso got the better of the start, but that's always been a strength for Alonso's. And the main thing for Stroll there was to not lose masses of positions. And even what he did lose, he didn't panic and he climbed his way back through. And the way he just went about his his work and, and clinically getting back into position, uh, that closing stint as well, he was really, really clean, really quick. His fastest lap overall was four tenths quicker than Alonso's and a tenth quicker than Perez's. Uh, I think it probably gives him about the fourth fastest lap of the race in total. But Whoa. the one that really stood out to me was he actually ended that race 6.6 .6 seconds behind that Alonso and Perez battle, which obviously would have been epic on the final lap and held them up slightly. But, you know, he was in that realm of performance as well with both of those guys today, uh, certainly with his teammate. And I don't think Stroll would have had the capacity to do what Alonso did, but that's not what Aston Martin needed him to do. They needed him to back right. up Alonso's performance get good score when they finally had a car that was good enough to score points. And he's absolutely done that. So these are the sort of weekends where you do make a case for him and, and defend him at other times. But the problem is they're just too sure. few and far between. Yeah. And, and kudos to both Alonzo and Stroll who wound up wheel to wheel going into that manic turn one. And they managed to stay off each other, not only in one, but two and three. And, and then they settled things on the run down to four. Mm. Hey, and Chris, you know, let's go back to the, actually before the race and the hydraulic issue for Charles Leclerc. Um, did you hear any more detail on that? No, well, I, I heard uh, Charles' interview that he did with Sky and I'm, I'm going to have to have a listen back in a sec to what he said uh, elsewhere since. But uh, I did hear that he kind of said it's not actually a hydraulic issue. Oh, yeah. Uh, something, yeah. something else seems to trigger it. Uh, but then it's that, you know, yeah, he knew heading towards that corner that he had a problem and he uh, he couldn't get the gears to work. And then he tried to turn the car in uh, with, you know, what was a heavy car already because the power steering had gone and the rear's locked, which suggests a, a further problem. Uh, but yeah, I, I did feel massively for him because 
that's the sort of issue that if that happens on the way to the grid, the team has time to look into it, assuming you don't end up right. in the wall. Uh, or even if you do and you can limp back. But then mm-hmm. the timing of it, I mean, if he'd have been able to bring the car back to the garage even, because we then had the red flag, that if there was something that could be resolved, the team could have got to work on it. But it was a pretty big hit, wasn't yeah. it? And it seemed a yeah. bit cryptic the way he said that uh, he couldn't say what it is, yeah. but that it wasn't exactly hydraulic related. When we had yeah. a hydraulics issue that was resolved in the garage for Carlos Sainz in Mexico last week, and then mm-hmm. we had both of the Alfa Romeos <clears throat> retiring, uh, which are you know another two Ferrari-powered cars. So, yeah. And then even later on, didn't we? Carlos Sainz saying he lost downshifts or the left paddle wasn't working properly for him, right. which mm-hmm. I assume didn't really cost him anything, given the fact that he kept Gasly at bay. He actually put time into him by the end and was six seconds up the road. Mm-hmm. But you know, it did sound concerning. So, seems to be a few uh, a few reliability issues there for them. I thought I heard him, uh, uh, Leclerc. That is, say even more than that. He said, "You know, I I think I know what it is. I'm not going to talk about yeah. it." And I think he said, "I think the team thinks it's something different." So we're going to have to go back and obviously, you know, investigate the whole thing. But yeah, it seemed pretty much uh, chronic among all the Ferrari powered cars. Yeah. Let me run down the entire race result here. Max Verstappen wins the 17th, like we talked about, followed by Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso, Checo Perez, Lance Stroll, Carlos Sainz, Pierre Gasly in seventh, Lewis Hamilton, and the Mercedes down in eighth, followed by Yuki Tsunoda in the points today. That'll help their constructor standing. Esteban Ocon in 10th, Logan Sargent just outside the points, and the only Williams that finished in 11th, Hulkenberg 12th, Ricardo 13th, Ostagor Piastri, who had some damage in the car down in 14th, and then the rest of the cars did not finish. That's George Russell, Valtteri Bottas, Joe Guan Yu, Charles Leclerc, Kevin Magnussen, and Alexander Albon. So what is that? Six cars did not finish. That that was um, that, that's a pretty big number. I don't know what the, the, the record this year is, but that's a lot of cars in one race to not finish. I might be able to quickly actually do the maths on... on if we've ever had as many uh, this year. I don't think we have. I think you're right the way you've said that. We've had disqualifications that have kind of clouded how many have been uh, yeah. classified, but Australia yeah. must be close, mm-hmm. but a number of them were still classified because of how late the uh, issues were. Yeah. So we only had three retirements in that race, but you technically lost, or oh, what do we lose? Eight cars with the crashes on the restarts uh, in total. So that's the only other one that can really come close to it. But yeah, yeah I'm checking in with Sean Kelly. He doesn't mention the... Yeah, six cars out of the race is enormous by Formula One standards. Yeah, yeah, and we are getting to the end of the season, and this was the end of a triple header where obviously not so many parts can mm-hmm. go back and forth because we're in the Americas. So teams will have been basically trying to deal with issues on the go uh, and trying to mm-hmm. repair parts or, or service parts while they were on the move. And I remember in Brazil last year actually there was a delay to some of the freight. I think four Haas if I'm recalling correctly, uh, getting into the track because it got, you know, one of the flights it was meant to be on got rerouted or delayed or customs wasn't being particularly helpful. And again, if any of those sorts of issues have happened that just limited the time teams had to repair things or to service things, then that can have a knock-on effect as well. And we don't always hear about them um, because they just get their heads down and get on with it. And it, you know, maybe it was only a few hours that, that they lost and they had to work through the night or something. But uh, these are the logistical issues that also come up as well at the end of such a long, tough season. Hey, well, I was yeah, reading that. Definitely. I was thinking about Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, you know, the crash with Albon and the Haas cars sent Albon's tire flying. Actually, I think it, I forgot who's, who hit it but again, but the tire went flying and came down and hit Ricciardo's wing. But did that 
look like to me that it maybe even almost hit the halo or did it just hit the wing? I couldn't tell. I think it was just the no, wing. It was, close. It was Hulk, yeah, it's Hulkenberg that actually drove over it. He kind of got caught under his left rear tire for a little bit and then yeah. finally got flattened. So Hulkenberg may have picked up damage in that. He, you know, he had a bit of a tough race and ended up uh, what he was classified, I think, three seconds adrift of Logan Sargent. But I get the feeling that Logan backed off uh, in the closing stages once it was clear he wasn't going to get uh, 10th and he just brought the car home. But uh, yeah, so Hulkenberg, I think, was damaged by that but that, that flicked the, the tire up into the air behind him and then as you say landed pretty sure clip almost clean on um on ricardo's on the wing. wing okay um so i think he was okay in that sense but that is one of the reasons you do have the halo because if there's a time you're going to get debris flying around and parts flying around it tends to be if there's a, a crash at the start and it always amazes me if you think back to mexico how skilled these drivers are at getting so close and moving around when they're three and four wide accelerating Ooh. like that uh and then Finally, you get something like uh, like today happen where tiniest touch. Hulkenberg was trying to get out the way, wasn't he? He tried to back yeah. out once he could see what's happening. And it just, you, you're talking there split seconds because with yeah. the amount that he's braking and the others are accelerating, they would have passed each other and got clear um, with just the tiniest, tiniest bit more time. But uh, yeah, real shame. Real shame for Albon as well, who's had a, a really good run recently. I think he had had, what, three point scoring results in a row? Uh, that's brought to an end so mm-hmm. uh, or certainly at least two yeah two two ninth places he'd had and points right. in Qatar sprint so yeah three well, weekends that, the way that tire and came he had down a terrific that, start yeah he did uh, the, the way that tire came down I was actually thinking you know that that could have circumvented the halo possibly because the tire was all out of shape and deformed it could have come down and you know I I don't know that but it's it looked possible that it actually could have hit um uh, Ricardo's helmet. So I was just, I was just thinking, I was worried about that a little bit. I mean, obviously he was fine, but it looked like that could happen technically. So, um, what else, guys? Let's see. Um, well, how about the fact that win number fifty-two for <sighs> Master Max breaks a tie with Alan Frost, a four-time world champion, for fourth on the all-time list. Wow. So. 52 for Max, find Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, and uh, who am I forgetting? Sebastian um, Vettel. Sebastian Vettel, right. So, which, which I nearly got wrong when we spoke about this in Austin, actually, yeah, when he was closing in on Prost, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I thought he'd actually gone ahead already at that point. But uh, yeah, he's he's so close now. It was uh, a few races ago, somebody mentioned it must have been around the Qatar time when he won the title. Yeah. But if he were to win every race from here to the end of the season, it would move him clear into third place. Uh, and Max himself said, well, that would be kind of the dream in my career to get somewhere into third. Uh, and, mm. you know, he thinks the gap's too big to the guys ahead. Mm. I can, I kind of get his point, but at the same, you shake your head there and I understand why, Bob. But if you think mm-hmm. of the, the dominance he's needed over the last two years of an ins- insane level, really, yes. with the number yeah. of wins this season, uh, to then go and close that same gap again, another 50 victories to get to Lewis Hamilton, uh, another 40 to get to, to Michael Schumacher. I mean, even if he has kind of normal dominant years of like 10 wins a season, that's four mm-hmm. years, four seasons to get yeah. to Michael. And is there a guarantee that Red Bull can be that dominant for another four seasons? There's not. So it, no. it could happen, but I can see why he's yeah. got a little bit of wariness about, about saying that he'll get there. Yeah, and then more big changes coming in 2006 with the engine formula and all that sort of thing. So who knows what the balance of power will be in just a couple of seasons. All right, well, coming up. Run the races. 
Coming up, we're going to review what has happened to the Constructors and the Drivers Championship after this. But before that, a word from our sponsor. On November 14th, Netflix's first live sporting event, the Netflix Cup, brings together star athletes from Formula One Drive to Survive and Full Swing to team up and tee off in Las Vegas for a historic golf tournament likes which you've never seen before. Golfers Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, Max Oma, and Colin Morkawa will team up with drivers Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, Pierre Gasly, and Alex Albon to battle it out on the fairways and greens of the Wynn Las Vegas golf course. These teams will have to swing, swing to survive across nine holes of tournament play with a few unique twists and turns. At the end, only one team will claim the top step of the podium and take home the Netflix Cup. It's all happening at the start of the Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix next week in Las Vegas. Tune in to the Netflix Cup live November 14th, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 Eastern, only on Netflix. Back after these messages. All righty. Come on, John. The name is Morikawa. Thank you. And he has two majors. Yes, two majors. Yeah, two majors. He won the PGA and he won the U.S. Open. Oh, I thought you meant he was a college student. He had two majors. That's how much I follow golf. Yeah, I had a feeling when you called Mokawa. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I meant to look that up. In fact, I did, but I I lost it. That could be fun. I hope they're going to mic the golfers like they do in some of those other exhibitions oh they absolutely are yeah they're gonna have them fully mic'd up and i think um all i know is that lando is paired with ricky fowler uh i don't oh. know about the rest at the moment so i need to Ooh, i need to chase that could, that could be tough they've got to um yeah they've well they've got a it's yeah one f1 driver one um, yeah right it could be a tough team golfer. yeah what do you think case how we doing you guys talked about uh, well. You talked, Chris, about uh, trying to hit a shot with spectators all around. That's that always gets me at the Masters every year. I think it's uh, the thirteenth or fifteenth right hole after. or whatever. Oh, great. Is this channel of fans? And I thought, oh man, my knees would be shaking. I mean, I'm a, mm. I'm, I'd be afraid I was going to kill somebody. Here's a good yeah, comment from Joe. On YouTube, he says, look how happy Alonzo was on the podium. He lights up like few others. That is really, really true, isn't it? I was noticing that exact thing, sure. man. He just looked ecstatic. Does, is it just a little bit that he looks like, holy crap, I'm still doing this at 42? I mean, is that my imagination? <laughs> yeah, it could be. It's only his second podium in 12 races. So, yeah. yeah. And off the back of two retirements as well that were pretty low moments. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And Lando now ties Nick Hyde. There we go. For most podium. Hello, I'm Jenny Gow from BBC F1. You are listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. The Speed City F1 post race show on SiriusXM is brought to you by CrowdStrike. Stop today's most sophisticated cyber attacks at the office, the racetrack, and everywhere in between. Learn more at crowdstrike.com slash XM. Jenny Gal bringing us back there on that bumper. And yeah. she was back on the microphone this weekend. That was fantastic to hear after her 
mm-hmm. stroke what almost a year ago or maybe about a year ago something like that yeah i think it was in the off season yeah. it was over the winter um yeah maybe into early january it happened so uh, yeah really great to hear progress yeah mm-hmm. yeah because she sounds great to me i was i you know i was like wow i can't believe that she had a stroke so it's fantastic to hear her back on the microphones but uh mm-hmm. But yeah, well, what else, guys? Let's take a look here. I am looking at our today's finish. Um, I did you hear any more about Oscar Piastri's car, um, Chris? No, nothing in terms of uh, damage at the moment. But uh, Andrea Stella is uh, just doing or just finished up his media session, so I'll probably get the audio in a second. Can have a little listen to it. Uh, but yeah, there was nothing that uh, was directly explained at that point. I know that McLaren were hinting he still had some damage uh, that was going to be hampering him and i really felt yeah. for piastri and ricardo one because i actually thought they weren't going to go a lap down with that red flag because the the red flag came out on the lap that they were in the pits so of course they're never Ooh. going to leave the garage again uh to stay on the lead lap as such uh but the race had been ended uh, neutralized and normally goes back you know you, you take this the order from the lap before so yeah. a lap before they would have been on the same lap as everybody else so that's the bit Ooh. that I was confused by um but I'd have to double check that with, I'm sure that he'll get asked that question and we'll see. Uh, because Ooh. then the race ran so clean that we just didn't get an opportunity for them. They only needed one safety car and they could have been allowed to get back on the league lap. So that was a bit of a shame. Uh, yeah, but the comment, go ahead. I was just going to say, but it was good to see that they did fight it out still and um, and ran to the end as well, both of those. They could have parked those cars, but they obviously wanted to learn something from and potentially they did want to, you know, maybe there's an argument to be had with the timing afterwards. Uh, and they're like, well, we better see the race through to the end uh, and see where that would slot us into the classification on track as such. Yeah. Um, I said before the break, we're going to look at the Constructors' Championship standings and the drivers. And I like to I like to bring up the standings before the end of the race and then bring them up again to look at them again to see the differences. <laughs> and I was thinking about uh, AlphaTauri and Williams. I've been watching that one. So it looks like Williams was in seventh with 28 and coming into the race. And when and AlphaTauri in eighth with 21, excuse me, with 19. Now that's 28 and 21. So two points there for AlphaTauri. And uh, let's see what other. So AlphaTauri had been level with Alfa Romeo, hadn't they, heading into the weekend? But that's right. the double yeah. score for Sonoda with sixth mm-hmm. in the sprint and then ninth today uh, is a really, really good result for them. Just does keep them in, kind of keeps the pressure on Williams. But speaking of Williams, mm-hmm. Logan Sargent, very solid run to 11th yes. today. Yes. Um, you know, stayed out of trouble, did everything he needed to do. Kind of, I don't think he had the pace to be any higher. Tenth uh, was uh, Esteban Ocon, wasn't it? Or at least one of the Alpines. So the cars ahead were all quicker cars. Uh, and mm-hmm. he just made sure that he was in the right place to be able to take advantage if there had been an issue for anyone late on. So right. uh, I, I think that was that was solid. And Williams will hope to be strong in Vegas uh, or ex- expect to be strong in Vegas, uh, apart from the cold temperatures maybe hurting their, their ability to turn their tyres on. But uh, they think their car will suit that track. So they, I think Williams will be looking at if they can just keep Alpha Tauri at bay next time out. That should pretty much seal the deal. You'd be you'd be surprised. You need a bit of a crazy race in Abu Dhabi for then a seven or eight point gap to get overturned with teams that far back, where you know it's difficult to score big big points. Yeah, yeah, and Logan again doing at the at least the bare minimum right to continue to be this discussion of what's going to happen next year 
I think that he, uh, I mean, he did that today. He ticked the box of not crashing the car, not making big mistakes. I mean, what, what he finished uh, 11th today? 11th, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I and he would have finished 12th last week if he hadn't had to retire. They just told him to bring it into the pits at the end of the final lap rather than cross the line because of a, a fuel pump issue. But he'd, he'd again done a very solid job, got through, uh, and was in a position where he would have picked up the pieces from anyone else, but was actually close behind Albon just with a few cars in between them. So his his last three results would have been 10th, 12th, and 11th in that case. And yeah, normally I wouldn't say, you know, go with a, what it would have been when that's not where he finished, but he genuinely was coming out the final corner in 12th and entered the pits rather than crossing the line. So consistent is the main thing there, uh, which is exactly, mm-hmm. as you say, John, what he's needed to produce. Yeah, inconsistent. And uh, again, I reiterate, he doesn't have the same car as his teammate right now. And that's been said. Hey, Chris, I was thinking about something. Um, all your regulars like James Vowles and Christian Horner are, are probably standing in the paddock waiting for you right now, waiting for the microphone <laughs> to come over there right now. <laughs> I'd be surprised. looking over their shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I'd be surprised if James Vowles is just because he, he missed Mexico as well because he's just had a daughter. Um, oh, so that's right. He and his wife have just had a child um, and they announced it in the week. So I assume he st- would have missed this one as well. But obviously, because I'm not there to see with my own eyes, I'm, I'm not certain that he didn't go. But I'd be surprised if he uh, if he was still there. I know that Toto Wolf, with the delayed race, actually, this would have been one of those where I'm probably being apologetic because Toto Wolf cancelled his media engagements. He really wanted to be in the debrief uh, to basically work out what went wrong for Mercedes this weekend uh, and then needed to leave. So uh, James Allison's going to do the media a bit later on. But that's uh, a sign, I think, if we're looking at Constructors' Championship. I mean, Mercedes came in pretty punchy, thinking they were going to be strong this weekend, not yeah. gone their way at all. And the gap's, what, just 20 points to Ferrari? Ferrari must be kicking themselves Ooh. about the Leclerc issue because, ah, yeah. he, you know, even if he just has a pretty quiet run to fourth or fifth or sixth, you know, another eight or 10 points would not only cut that gap by that amount, but it probably would have pushed Hamilton back another spot. So he'd have got one right. point or two points less uh, and, right. and they'd be even closer. Mm-hmm. That, that is just so Ferrari. I hate to say that, but it, it just really is right now. <laughs> Hey, Chris, yeah. I, I want to go back to uh, your your microphone and the grid. I mean, this year has, I know we've got a you know a couple more races left, but man, you have really forged some relationships, haven't you? Those guys, it seems like they are really respectful and, and uh, ready to jump on the mic when you're walking down the grid or the paddock. Most of them are, yeah. Not, not everyone's <laughs> always delighted to see me. Um, and sometimes we do get kind of... Uh, either told no or uh, a head shake from someone it tends to be one right. team. I'll let, I'll let everyone else kind of work out where, where that team might be that uh, <laughs> if they don't hear that often from uh, their drivers or from team members or whatever, but um, on the whole, everyone's been really, really good. And yeah, it, it just kind of helps. Like I was working out the other day, somebody was, uh, Will Buxton was posting about his uh, 300th Grand Prix that he worked at as a journalist uh, and, and how many he's been on the ground for. And I know that everyone listening right now is going, well, you're, you're sat at home, you're part-timer, but uh, <laughs> this is one of only three out of this season that I'm missing. And uh, we right. then worked out in Mexico that I'm on about 192, I think. Uh, so yeah, we'll hit 200 on the ground as a, as a journalist uh, early next season. And from that, you do just, you see these people so yeah. often. Uh, they kind of, I think, respect in the same way that I respect what they're having to sacrifice to do that job. Uh, as we mentioned, James Vowles, you know, the only reason he's not there now, he's just just had a child. I mean, we can certainly yeah. let him off for that, but yeah. it almost seems yeah. odd, doesn't it, when someone's not on the ground? So 
um yeah i think that's helped a bit as well and and just the growing interest in the us people see uh, the speed city logo and the sirius xm logo and go actually yeah like this is a, a big market now that we want to be talking to directly so i always urge mm-hmm. people if you want a, a, you know most races if you want bespoke content that is aimed at you as an american fan or a us or canadian fan uh, then yeah. then make sure you tune into us and just have the tv Get on, on our show yeah. yeah exactly we'll send you another uncle sam top hat that you can wear walking down the pit lane <laughs> so people will recognize although i know what you're talking about when we stopped going to races in the 90s at espn uh, the thing I missed most was that being in front of people, because, you know, when they see you there all the time, they know you're legitimate. You're here. You know, we're all trying to raise the boat and um, they'll give you better answers. You know, they're talking to somebody who cares enough and, and made the commitment to, to come all the time. When you're doing it from the other side of the world, it's a lot harder. I know we're running out of time here, but very quickly, I've seen on YouTube that a question from Andrew asking about thoughts on what went wrong with Mercedes setup. Uh, I've heard George Russell's quotes uh, to the print media since where he said it's a mind-boggling weekend to understand. <laughs> he just said he just doesn't understand. He said we've clearly got something wrong with the tyres and in a sprint weekend when you get it wrong, you can't fix it. Uh, so he said we were like a sitting duck. Um, yeah, we had no benefit at all. Uh, you meant to run more downforce, keep the tyres under control more, but we didn't have that, which meant we were just slow in a straight line as well. So I think uh, a lot of head, head scratching for them uh, to try and work it out. And he says, actually, Vegas, he says, Red Bull and Williams are going to be really strong there because of top speed. And and <laughs> uh, Mercedes might struggle a bit. So, uh, yeah, not not looking good for them. They'll have to fix that over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> he also didn't appreciate Lewis Hamilton pulling out of uh, DRS range when they thought George did, that they were uh, working as a team to protect Lewis. You know, <clears throat> I've, I've actually said this before, but I, I feel for Mercedes because I work on a lot of my cars. I've got a shop at the house and I do all my, a lot of my own work. In fact, virtually all of it. And I've been there where you've taken replaced parts and, and you're like, I don't even know where to start. Do I just scrap this whole thing and start over? And I know that Formula One teams get that way. I remember Haas getting that way a couple of years ago with Grosjean. So I know that Mercedes, that, that's just got to be a hopeless feeling. But uh, we are out of time, everybody. Thank you all very much for tuning in. And, of course, the Sunday night show, Speed City, um, will be live next weekend. And, of course, Chris and I will be on Wheel to Wheel this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Right on, uh, Go to our website, speedcitybroadcast.com, to find out where and how to listen. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.